And for the past few weeks, we have been looking at the life of King David, but now we have moved on, as of last week, to his son, King Solomon, in our sermon series through the Old Testament this summer. Solomon reigned over Israel at the pinnacle of its empire. I mean, during Solomon's reign, Israel was more powerful than it had ever been, and then after Solomon's reign, it would never be that powerful again. During Solomon's reign, Israel was wealthy, wealthier than it had ever been before. It was more grand and successful than it had ever been. And after Solomon, it would never have that kind of wealth or grandeur again. At the time of King Solomon, Israel was at its peak. And of course, a large part of that was from what we learned last week. In the story last week, God invited Solomon to ask God for anything that he wanted. Do you remember that? anything. And boys and girls, do you remember what Solomon asked for? Did he ask for money? No, I hear no, that's correct. Did he ask for a long life? No, he didn't. Did he ask for a puppy? No. Did he ask to be a movie star? No, he didn't. What did Solomon ask for? Wisdom. Yes, exactly. He asked for wisdom. Solomon asked God for wisdom and understanding so that he would know right and wrong and how to best rule over the people that God had given him. Solomon, you see, wanted to be a good king for his people. And when he asked for wisdom, he really wasn't thinking so much about himself. He was thinking about what he needed to be able to rule the best way he could over his people to be a blessing for his people. And God was happy that Solomon was thinking about others than himself. And so God gave him the most wisdom than any human being ever had or ever will had. And even though Solomon didn't ask for these things, God gave him, gave him wealth and power and honor anyway. And that's because of this. God is a giving God. I mean, sometimes we think God is a little stingy. We think that God sort of stands offish in terms of His generosity. But God, God loves to be generous. He is a giving God. He wants to fill us with so many good things. We need to understand that our God is a giving God, and He gives in such unique and powerful ways. And I'd like to share with you this morning at a personal level that in my cancer walk these past few months, God has done exactly that. He's been an amazingly giving God. He has blessed me and my family with so many good things. And you know, the blessings have been so meaningful, and they're so unique to the journey that I'm going through. It's just incredible. The challenges of cancer will never outweigh the goodness of God. It will never happen. The challenges of whatever you're going through will never outweigh the goodness of God. It will never happen. And you know, when I see all of the good things that God has done in my life since my diagnosis, and this was kind of dawning on me last week, I realized at this moment, I don't wish, I don't wish that this cancer never happened. Because without this cancer, I would have missed out on so many of the good things that God has done. And I don't want to have missed out on those things. I mean, it's really strange. It's not that I say thank God for cancer, but in a way I kind of do because of what God has done. 
Our God is a giving God. Our God is an amazingly generous God. And He loves to give His goodness in the most powerful ways to each and every one of you. And honestly, oftentimes it happens in the, in the midst of challenging circumstances. And so, my friends, when life gets hard, don't regret that it gets hard. I encourage you to look for, to search for, to pray for the goodness that God is absolutely bringing to you in your life at that time, at this time. Anyway, back to Solomon. Today we have the story of Solomon building and dedicating the temple for God. So let's take a look at that story. Solomon was the king of Israel after his father, David, died. God made Solomon very wise. Solomon began to build a temple for the Lord. Solomon ordered thousands of workers to help build the temple. They cut cedar logs and stone blocks. They laid a foundation and built the outside of the temple. God blessed the temple and promised Solomon, if you obey my commands, I will keep the promise I made to David. I will live among the Israelites and I will not abandon my people. The temple was built in seven years. It was beautiful. The cedar paneling inside the temple was carved with ornamental gourds and flower blossoms. Solomon overlaid everything inside the temple with pure gold. He hired men to make bronze furnishings for the temple such as bronze bowls for holding water. When the temple was complete, Solomon moved the Ark of God from its place on Mount Zion to the new temple in Jerusalem. Solomon gathered the leaders of Israel. As the priests moved the Ark to the most holy place in the temple, King Solomon and the leaders sacrificed sheep and cattle to the Lord. When the priests came out of the temple, a cloud filled the temple. God's glory was in the cloud. Solomon turned to speak to the Israelites. Praise God, he said. God promised David that his son would build a temple. God kept his promise. Solomon stood and prayed with his hands spread out toward heaven. There is no God like you, he said. Then Solomon thought about the future. He knew Israel would sin and make God angry again. So Solomon asked for forgiveness and he asked God to hear their prayers. When Solomon had finished praying, he encouraged the Israelites to love and obey God. The people returned to their homes, joyful because God was good to them. The temple was a place where God met with his people. The people could go there to make sacrifices and worship God. Today, when we trust in Jesus, he is with us wherever we go. We can look to him for forgiveness and help. Okay, now remember, the tabernacle for centuries, since the time of Moses, had been the primary place of worship for the people of Israel. But the tabernacle, as you remember, was a tent. It was meant to be portable. But now Israel had a permanent home and a capital city. It was time to build a permanent place for worship. And so Solomon built the temple. 
And the temple was completely modeled after the tabernacle. But instead of being made out of fabric, of course, it was made out of stone. And, of course, Solomon made the temple magnificent. I mean, he literally used tons of gold in the building of this house for God. And when the temple was finished, on its dedication day, God filled the temple with His presence in the form of a cloud. A cloud filled the temple. God was present. And the thing that I want to ponder today is why. Why did God want to be present in the temple? I mean, why does the transcendent God, who cannot even be contained by the universe, the majestic, boundless God, infinite God, want to focus His presence in this tiny little temple? Well, after Solomon lifts up a prayer to God at the dedication of the temple, God responds. And in 1 Kings chapter 9, God says this, I have heard the plea or prayer and plea you, Solomon, have made before me. I have consecrated this temple which you have built by putting my name there forever. My eyes and my heart will always be there. Now, did you catch it? God says, my heart will always be with the temple. And I think this answers the question, why? The temple is where God's people gather. God's heart is for His people. God wants to be with His people. The transcendent, majestic God who has infinite boundaries, this God wants to be near us. God wants to be near us in a close and personal way. And the temple is where forgiveness happens through the sacrifices. And so the temple is where God and humanity are brought together and reconciled and are able to abide together. The temple is the only place where God can be near His people in a loving, gracious, merciful relationship. This is God's heart. He wants to be with us. But you know, even as beautiful as the temple was, it was pointing to even a more beautiful temple. It was pointing to the day when God would dwell not in a building, but in a person. And that person was Jesus Christ. In Colossians 2, the Bible says, For in Christ all the fullness of God lives in bodily form. God desires to be near us, to be with us. This desire was so deep that He became, Jesus became, like us. He was like us, except without sin. Of course, we, or except with sin, of course, we, the rest of humanity, have sin, and plenty of it. Now, related to this, let me tell you a story. Pastor and theologian Tim Keller, he talks about his struggle with acne when he was young, and he said this, I lived in those days which I had plenty of blemishes. You know, you checked yourself in the mirror. Some of you might remember this. You checked yourself in the mirror usually once or twice a day or more in order to decide how presentable you were, whether you would allow yourself to get into the car and go someplace, whether you wanted to see somebody if they came over to visit. In other words, you checked your presentability out all the time. And sometimes you were pretty upset. You'd go in and you would say, oh my gosh, look at all the blemishes. 
And then your parents might say, hey, we're going to go over and see so-and-so, and would you like to come along? And you'd say, no, thank you. But you don't say, I'm not presentable. I wouldn't want them to see me like this. And you know, that's what sin does to us. It fills us with blemishes and makes us unpresentable to God. I mean, what are your blemishes? I mean, your physical blemishes. You don't have to list them. We all have them, don't we? All of us have those blemishes. And those blemishes are caused by the brokenness of sin. And they are reminders of the much deeper sin that is in all of us. But Jesus, He became like us so that He could take all of our blemishes, physical and spiritual, on Himself. And then on the cross, Jesus makes Himself unpresentable to God. And God looks at Jesus, and He sees all those blemishes, and God rejects Jesus. And in that rejection, and in taking all of our blemishes of sin upon Himself, Jesus makes us presentable to God, and God accepts us. And all of this happens so that God can be near us, so that we can be in a gracious relationship with God, so that God can be the loving and good and generous God that He wants to be for us no matter what is happening in our lives. For Solomon, the temple was the place where God dwelled. For, dwelled. for us, Jesus is the place where God dwells. In 1 Kings, God says, I have put my name on the temple. And in Philippians 2, the Bible says, God has, has highly exalted Jesus and bestowed on Him the name that is above every name. You see, Solomon's temple foreshadowed Jesus, who is the new and everlasting temple of God, the dwelling place of God. And in baptism, Jesus puts His name on us so that we carry the name of Christ. We are Christians. At the dedication of the temple, God filled the building with His presence in the form of a cloud. In communion, Jesus fills the bread and wine with His body and blood so that He can fill us with His presence. And so here we are today, gathered in this place, because God wants to be near us. He wants to be with us in the most loving, blessed, and meaningful ways in your life. He comes to us in His Word. He names us in our baptism. He fills us with His presence in Holy Communion. God is in this place to bless us, to encourage us, to love on us, to be near us. Let's pray. Gracious God, we are so thankful that you sent Jesus, who is our temple, the place where God dwells. We thank you that he has come into our lives, that we may have the presence, your presence, with us in the person of Jesus Christ. Lord God, the blemishes and sin in our lives make us unpresentable to you, but you have taken all of that through your Son and made him unpresentable so that we become presentable to you. And now you are with us. In the temple, you wanted to be near your people. In Jesus Christ, you want to be near us. You want to be in us. Lord, we thank you for that.